The United States is juggling major foreign policy crises this weekend. Terrorist group ISIS currently tops the list. Following the beheading of journalist James Foley, Great Britain abruptly raised its domestic terror threat from substantial to severe, suggesting an attack is highly likely. The ambition to create an extremist caliphate in the heart of Iraq and Syria is a threat to our own security here in the UK. The, the Pentagon uh, is developing plans uh, or military options for the president to consider uh, if he decides that it's necessary to do so. Uh, but at this point, the president hasn't made any decisions. President Obama is working to tamp down expectations that airstrikes are imminent in Syria, a suggestion left by some of his top military advisors who warned of the global threat ISIS poses. The United Nations continues to monitor the Israeli-Syrian border as the peacekeepers' crisis escalates. Ukrainian forces continue to battle pro-Russia rebels. Saturday, Ukraine's president warned of the high risk to the whole peace and stability of Europe as the conflict with Russia continues. This weekend, the U.N. reports more than 3 million Syrian refugees have been registered in neighboring countries. Another 6.5 million are displaced within the country. Officials from the CDC are meeting in Sierra Leone to discuss the Ebola epidemic that is ravaging West Africa. There is time to avoid a catastrophe, but only if immediate and urgent action is taken at every level. According to the World Health Organization, more than 1,500 people have already died from this outbreak, with hundreds of cases being discovered every week. You may have rec recognized that voice. That's our own Jennifer Orvet, a member here and also a member of WSFA News Team. And, and I asked Jennifer to do that just to remind us of all the different things that are going on in our world today and what a dangerous world that we live in. I mean, if you watch the news, you, you find that out every night. You, you know me, I'm a traditionalist. And so I watch NBC Nightly News every night. Uh, if you grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, WSFA is the powerful station here, and so you're an NBC person. Some of you in Birmingham that are watching this, maybe you had a different network, but ours was NBC, right? Let me give a little time. How many of you are old enough to remember Huntley Brinkley? Raise your hand. Uh, who remembers John Chancellor? How about Tom Brokaw? Uh, Brian Williams, we all know now. We, we want that. I DVR, you know, I know it's probably not the best newscast, but it's, it's, I just like the music when it comes on. How about you? <laughs> and, but if you watch it, it's, it's rather distressing because every night we see reports like we just saw about what's going on in the world around us. And, and, and the question this morning is how do we handle this? When we see our world, I, I see a few responses that, that I think are very easy to have. Number one, I, I can choose to be ignorant, all right? If you're taking notes, that's your first blank. I can choose just to be ignorant. I have friends who have absolutely stopped watching the news because they don't want to hear it any longer. Number two, you can simply be dismissive. Oh, I know that's what they said, but I, I just dismissed the world as just being a crazy place. How many of us have said or been in conversations where we mentioned, you know, the Middle East, those are just crazy people. It's never going to get better. I've actually heard Christian people say, why don't we just drop a nuclear bomb in the middle of it and be over with it? We just can be dismissive of everything else happening around the world. But here, number three is the one I'm very tempted to be, is I watch it every night and I become numb. I just become numb. I see the refugees in Syria. I see the bombing continually between the Israelis and the Palestinians. 
You see the crisis going on in the Ukraine today with Russia. You see concentration camps in North Korea. We see the drug cartels murdering people left and right in Mexico. And you watch it all and your heart just becomes numb. And so you watch the news and you just sort of, you know, it's just sort of par for the course. That's, that's the world we live in. But the deal about it is we really can't isolate ourselves. We, we live in a world now where this pours into our borders. We live in a world now that's so connected, we can't just say, let's put our borders up and let's just worry about America. And, and even beyond that, as Christian people, we don't have the option to not care. And, and so here's another option, I think. Instead of being ignorant or dismissive or even numb, we as Christians can ask for God's heart for the world. Let's ask for God's heart for the world. Now, I want you to go with me this morning to the Gospel of John, because in the Gospel of John is where we really see God's heart for the world. Gospel of John, in that one Gospel, the word world is used 78 times. You see, John is so very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Know why? John was written way after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's the oldest living apostle. He's possibly writing the end of the first century. And a lot of things have changed. When the first gospels were written, the church was basically a Jewish institution. By the time John has written, it's, it's majority Gentile. Reminds me of the transformation going in our world today. 50, 60 years ago, if you talked about Christianity, you would say the center of Christianity was the northern hemisphere. The United States of America and Western Europe. Today, if you were to write about Christianity, you would have to admit the center has shifted to the southern hemisphere. Things have changed. And they had changed in John's day. And and so he's writing this gospel to say, the good news of Jesus is not just for Jewish people like me. It's not for people that look like me. It's not for people who just act like me. The, the gospel is for everyone on the face of the earth. And so as you go through John, you'll see that word world over and over because it's the international gospel. Let me just show you some scriptures here. Let's start in John chapter 1, verse 4. He doesn't use the word world here, but you get the theme. After he's talked about who Jesus is, he says, verse 4, in him was life And that life was the light of all mankind. Listen, my friends, Jesus came to bring life. Too many of us are just existing. Too many of the people in the world are just going from day to day trying to survive. Jesus says, I want to give you something better than that. I want to give you life. And that life comes from this light that emanates across the entire world. He talks a little bit more about that in chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Listen, friends, the creator of the universe shows up at the party, and nobody knows who he is. God was so completely different than what they pictured they didn't get him but by the end of chapter one somebody knows who he is it is john the baptist look in verse 29 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's that sacrificial lamb that is able to cover not just your sin, not just American sins, not just Jewish sins, but the sins of the whole world. And then by the time we get to chapter 4, Jesus is in Samaria. Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. They were were half-breeds. They worshipped incorrectly. They certainly couldn't be people of God. And yet Jesus encounters this woman with so much baggage, turns her life right side up, and she begins to teach her village. And look what we find out by verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. John's going to say it over and over. Chapter 6, it's after the feeding of the 5,000, and everyone's coming to Jesus expecting him to be the grocery store. I mean, he's the bread line. And Jesus says in John 6, you guys like my bread, but let me tell you, I've got bread that you can eat where you will never be hungry again. And then in verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. Gives life to the world. And then by chapter 8, after he's had that encounter with that adulterous woman, John puts, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness that will have the light of life. John looks at things very simply. There is living in light and there's living in darkness and Jesus comes in a dark world. The newscast in Jesus' day were no better than ours. And yet Jesus comes as the light. And then by the time we get to chapter 12, even the arch enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, are afraid that Jesus has gotten out of control. Listen to what they say in verse 19, chapter 12. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's an amazing movement. And then by the time Jesus prepares to leave, he looks at his disciples like you and I. And he says in chapter 17, verse 18, As you sent me, as my Father sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The Father sent him, and Jesus sends us. What does it mean to be a missionary? It means to be sent. And Jesus says to each one of us, You are a sent people to the whole world. It might be Tanzania, it might be Turkey, it might be your neighborhood, it might be where you work, it may be where you go to school, but everywhere you go, you don't go on your own, you go as one that is sent by me. Now write this down. To John, the Apostle John, this idea of the world is not a vague concept of this mass of people that make up the world. It's about individuals. That's what I love about the Gospel of John. Oh, the theme is this is a universal gospel. But no gospel is more focused on individuals. In fact, 
my favorite way of studying the gospel of John is to just go and study one encounter with Jesus and somebody after another. You can almost track it. You can start over in in chapter 1 and you can see that Jesus meets Andrew, encounters him, and then he meets Peter and encounters him, and then there comes Nathaniel. You've got all these one-on-one encounters with Jesus. Because yes, the gospel is for the world, but it's for an individual. And then you get to chapter 2, and Jesus saves his mother from social embarrassment at a wedding scene. And in chapter 3, he encounters Nicodemus, that leader from the Sanhedrin who's interested in what this light looks like. And then in chapter 4, he encounters this woman, this Samaritan woman who's been married and divorced five times and living with a man now and all this baggage, and yet she meets Jesus. And then we go to chapter 9, and he encounters a blind man. I skip chapter 5, where he encounters a lame man by a pool that he heals. And then we go over to chapter 12, and it's Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. And so this universal gospel is the gospel that comes not simply to the whole world as a mass, but, but to every individual in the world. The universal gospel is the individual gospel. The universal gospel for the whole world begins to be the message for one person. Wow, we need to see that, don't we? It's easy to become numb to the whole world. It's easy to love the world. I I like what Charlie Brown said, the great theologian Charlie Brown. I I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. You ever feel that way? It's easy for us to stand here and go, yes, God loves the world, and we need to love the world. But the question is, can we love each individual in the world? Will that change the way I encounter people every day? Now, let's be honest. It's really easy for us to just have this vague concept of the world and and even watch the news every night and go, okay, that's still going on in Ukraine. Oh, yeah, the Middle East is still a mess. North Korea is still run by a crazy, cruel dictator. And it never touches us. You know when it touches most of us? Is when we've gone there. You could hear the statistic from now to the rest of your life that Malawi is the third most impoverished nation in the world. But dozens of you have been to Malawi. And so it's not just a statistic. It's somebody you love. It changes you. And today, I want us to spend a little time putting a face on the news. And we have among us today a lady from the Ukraine. She's actually from Gorlovka, Ukraine. Her name is Irene Grabko. And Irene, I'd like to ask you if you'd come up here and join me on stage. Are you already crying? <laughs> okay, good, good. She was afraid about that. Irene, sit down here and let's just, let's just talk a little bit. 
I want to make this as comfortable for her as possible. You can see a map up here, and you can see where Gorlovka is. If you watch the news, you have noticed that a city very close to there is a major city named Donetsk, all right? And that's been the center of the separatist movement and a lot of the Russian infiltration. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Irini. Uh, you know, one of the most exciting times in our history was when the Iron Curtain came down and, and we were allowed to go. Many of you got to go on those trips. I did. And I was actually blessed in 1993 to go to Gorlovka, Ukraine. We were able to preach in the, the, what we'd call the civic center in the middle of the town. It was amazing. Now, in 1990, some Christian missionaries had come to Gorlovka and Irene had become a Christian. And when I came there in 93 and was preaching, she was my interpreter, and she was incredible. Now, I can remember one sermon where I used the word, he was a bum, and you looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> that, that didn't interpret very well, did it, okay? Um, but Irene's especially, and just been a leader in God's people for a long, long time. So, Irene, let me just ask you a few questions so we can put a face to this. Why are you in America today? Why are you here in Montgomery, Alabama? <clears throat> there it starts. It's okay. Now we start, yes. Mm -hmm. I guess because my status right now is an externally displaced person. Okay. Well, tell, tell us what's happened in <clears throat> your hometown of Gorlovka. Um, in May of this year, we started witnessing some uh, unusual people on the streets of our city. Um, they started calling them insurgents. And um, these people always carried guns and other uh, armors with them. They rode very powerful military trucks. And uh, a lot of men started disappearing from the streets. And uh, because I'm running a very special facility in Gorlovka, it's a pretty um, big facility where um, foster care family live. Uh, there is about 40 orphan children in this facility. Um, we have a huge assembly hall in this facility. And one day I received a phone call from an unknown person. And he said that um, he needed that room for his insurgents to stay and uh, keep their stuff there. I said I couldn't allow that to happen because of all the children that live there. I didn't want to, uh, you know, put their life in stake. And he said, well, it's either that or you and your girls will die. Mm. So, um, of course, I got scared. And my husband told me, you better get the girls and go. So you got that phone call, life-threatening phone call. Tell, tell us just a little bit of what's happened to the churches in Gorlovka and what's happened to the city. Well, the city is uh, completely ruins right now. My apartment house has been bombed. And I don't think I have an apartment anymore. Uh, a few churches have been taken over by these people. I know that a few uh, Church of Christ um, preachers are missing. They have been abducted like a month ago, and still nobody knows where they are.
So what is your connection to get you to Montgomery, Alabama? I have some wonderful friends, Kim and Minjinal. <laughs> they brought us to here. Yes. And I know you and your girls are living. Now, what's right now, your major priority is what? My husband is still in Ukraine. And where is your husband now? He is internally displaced person. He cannot go back home uh, because there is no home. And uh, because of all the bombing, he can't really even get to the city. Um, train station has been bombed, so trains don't run. Um, roadways have been bombed, and uh, all the roads are blocked by these um, separatists. So he has been staying in different refugee camps. <laughs> so he's, he's sort of isolated. I know that he's been to the U.S. Embassy over and over trying to get a visa yeah. to, to immigrate. What, what is the roadblock to your husband joining you here? Well, America doesn't want, you know, immigrants. And every time he goes to get his visa, they think he's an immigrant and they're not going to let him come. This will make you sad. I mean, every time he goes to apply for a visa, he has to take hundreds of dollars, which is hard to come up with. And every time he's been four times, is that right? Three. Three times. <clears throat> about to go the fourth. And every time, the problem is not the Ukrainian roads right now. The problem is our government will not allow him to come. And so one thing we're pleading for, if there's anybody here that might have some inside track to help us with that, we would love to be able to help get him here. And Irene, what kind of visa are you on? Um, traveler's visa. A traveler's mm -hmm. visa. And, and it will run out in November, mm -hmm. correct? Now, the one thing that would be very helpful for her staying here is if she could get a job. She's been working with these orphans. In some, but it would have to be a job that, that somehow matches what yeah. you do in the Ukraine. So, Irene, would you tell us in this terrible situation when our brothers and sisters are being persecuted and a city destroyed, in a very lovely city, what would you want us to pray about? You know, it would be probably easy for me to say for the Christians to have strength and faith because I'm here and they're there. Mm -hmm. um, I probably, we probably need to pray for God's mercy. mercy yes. Because that's what we all need right now there. We want to believe here in a God that's powerful enough to save. And uh, I've asked Irene's daughter, Kate, if Kate would come up here. Kate actually sings opera in um, the Ukraine. There's a beautiful tape they have of her singing in the state opera house in Kiev. And, she's very, and I'm going to ask her to sing a song in Russian for you. I think you'll recognize the tune as she gets started, but it, it's our statement in our prayer of faith. You ready, baby? Нужно всем сострадание, надежная бесконечность и благодать твоя. Нужен нам всем спаситель, спасителя надежда, надежда мира. Спаситель может сдвинуть горы, силен Господь мой спасти. 
Cecilon und Basti war Veggi und war jetzt Bastienia. Was kriegst du mit Babidit? Smerti sus babidit, jarki svetlo i posvirica zemlja. Mi budim pet vas slavu vaskrešimo carja. Isus, jarki svetlo i posvirica zemlja. Mi budim pet vas slavu vaskrešimo carja. Hey, Kate, Kate, stay up here a minute. Hey, Kate, stay up here a minute. Brother Paul's going to come up here, and now we're going to sing at least the chorus of that song to you in English. So you guys, let's stand yeah, let's and stand let's together. sing this. Hard to follow this girl, isn't it? It is. I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> More than usual. <laughs> Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Amen. Amen. Give these ladies a hand as they go to their seats. How exciting to see such love and such faith in the midst of such disaster. And today I want to close out by introducing you to a dangerous prayer. Uh, you might say possibly is our last prayer in this series. This is the most dangerous prayer that we have prayed so far. And here it is. Lord, give me your heart for every person in the world. Say that with me. Lord, give me. Let's say it with some passion like we care about these people. Lord, give me for your heart for every person in the world. Now, what makes that prayer dangerous? It makes it dangerous because it might disrupt our lives. Bob Pierce was someone who was in Korea during the Korean War. And um, he had a heart for the Korean people. And so he came back and completely changed his life to start an organization that we call today World Vision that has a vision for reaching the world for Christ. And he prayed a very similar prayer. Lord, give me your heart for what you care about. Lord, help me to feel in my heart what you feel in your heart. You see, when God looks at the world, yes, he loves the world. But he loves more than just the world. He loves every individual in the world. And I wonder if we do. You know, our church, we, uh, we have some people in this church that will only give to local missions because they think, well, why do we go overseas? 
And then, this is crazy, on the other hand, we've got some people in this church that will only give to foreign missions because they struggle with local mission. God said, the heart of God, we are a people that care about everybody. You see, this will be disruptive for you when you watch the news tonight. It might stop you to pray in the middle of the news for the people that you see that are under oppression. When you walk in your workplace, it will change the way you look at people. Paul would say, I no longer look at people from a worldly point of view. When you go to a football game this fall and there's 85,000 people in the stands, it might disrupt the game long enough for you to go, I wonder who knows the Lord and who's saved and who's not saved here. You see, it might disrupt our time schedule because we begin to look at people the way God looks at people and we begin to serve people the way God does. It changes the way I look at the drug addict, the homeless, the person who's all messed up in sin, the person who's been through all those divorces. I don't go with the judgmental spirit. I go with the spirit of Christ. I've got to do something. There's a church. It disrupts the way we do church. Now, I love about a church I was reading about recently where they clearly stated, we want to be a church that cares more about lost people than saved people. That's the heart of God who leaves the hundred that are saved to go after the one. Are we that church? Are we those people? You see, our life begins to be more about other people and their needs than about ourselves and our needs. I'm telling you, this prayer may be disruptive. It may be dangerous, but it is a prayer that is going to bless you because it can give you and I the opportunity to share the only hope of the world. You know, our, our foreign policy team can work on whatever they want to, and they can only get so far. Our military can intervene in situations and only get so far. But there's nothing that can change this world unless people's hearts are literally changed in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we want to be a part of what God could do in the world to change people. And so I want to close out today with a, one of those passages in John that I actually skipped. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. It's what we call the gospel in a nutshell. Let me go over that with you just for a second. Here's the way it goes. You know the beginning of John chapter 3. For God, here's the interpretation, the greatest giver, so loved, the greatest motive, the world, the greatest need, that he gave the greatest act, his only son, the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest invitation is for everybody. Believeth in him the greatest decision. Should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference. Have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. My friends, that's what we have to share for the world and for every individual in this world. If you could, Gene, let's back up to the beginning of that. I'd like to ask you to stand before we sing here a moment, and I'd like you to give the interpretation. I'll give the scripture, you give the interpretation. 
And let's prepare our hearts to love the world. I'm asking you today, are, are, you, are you faithful enough to go pray this prayer? Lord, give me your heart for every person in the world. Are there some people that you have a heart for? And some people, you know, maybe it's the person that goes at work that gets on your last nerve. Or maybe it's someone who comes from a different ethnic background that you have a hard time loving. Or maybe it's some country in the world where you just, you, you just completely lost your patience and you see no hope. Are we willing to love the world by starting with one person. So let me give you the scripture and you give me the interpretation, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him Should not perish, but have everlasting life. My friends, that's what we have to share. You see, let me tell you, John never got over this. John probably wrote the Gospel of John when he, probably AD 85. Ten years later, he's writing 1 John, close to death. And yet he can't get over the fact that God loves the whole world. Not just a Jewish person like him who grew up thinking it was only for him. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he's still singing the same song. He's talking about Jesus again. And he says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is that sacrifice for you. And if you're that lost person today, today's an opportunity for you to be saved. Before you walk out of here, you could be buried with Jesus Christ. You could go through his death, burial, and resurrection and be resurrected to a brand new life. Because he's the atoning sacrifice. Your only hope is what he's done for you. And you could put that hope in him. And then as we leave this place today, I want to remind us that we leave understanding he's not just the atoning sacrifice for us. He's the atoning sacrifice for the entire world. And I hope today that you have put a picture on the face of the world. Let's sing together. If you need to come, come right now.